Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 89 of the Farbound Metal Podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Michael Stane from Dark Tranquility discusses his first band, and I recommend the one-man avant-garde progressive metal act, Autocatalytica. Before all that, I welcome Pliny onto the program. Pliny is an Australian guitarist who is viewed as one of the best in the world. He has been praised by legends like Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, and others. On October 27th, Pliny is releasing his second full album called Impulse Voices. He came on to talk about how life and COVID led to the creation of this album, creating candles, a local pelican, and a lot more. So before we dive into my chat with Pliny, here are some of I'll Tell You Someday from the new album Impulse Voices. Uh, morning, correct? Yeah, I'm good. I just uh, got out of bed, pretty much. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to uh, disturb your slumber. No, I was gonna get up for something. This is the perfect reason. I appreciate that. What is your morning routine typically? Um, usually wake up, uh, do all the things I shouldn't do, like check my email and look at social media. Um, Get out of bed, have breakfast, and then go outside for as long as possible. That's, that's pretty much the routine. I, I read somewhere that a lot of your uh, out-of-doors out time lately has been listening to podcasts. What kind of podcast have you been listening to? Are you a murder podcast person? <laughs> um, I was on one tour, and that was probably not something that I should have been listening to before I went to sleep. Um, at the moment, I just found Lex Friedman, and I've been listening to pretty much everything that he's recorded in the last couple of years. Um, also, the guitar player Corey Wong has a podcast called Wong Notes uh, that I've been going through. They're probably the main two. I'm not familiar with this Lex Friedman person. Conversation about AI. What's that, sorry? I, well, I'm not familiar with uh, Lex Friedman, and I just did a quick search, and it sounds pretty interesting. You uh, seem to be doing something that expands your mind a bit more. I've gotten really into the Gilmore Guys podcast, about the Gilmore Girls show. So, very different priorities in my podcast. <laughs> What's that about? Because my uh, mom and sister, and I won't say myself necessarily, are huge fans. So I know the show pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an old podcast that's been over for a while, and it's just a couple comedians watching the show. One guy's an expert, the other guy's seeing it for the first time. And they're just ranking the show in a 2015 lens. And I, I'm now watching it with my wife for the first time in a 2020 lens and having just the weirdest time with it. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Uh, how has your COVID been overall, your uh, your lockdown, your whole experience with this weird, weird time we're in? Um, I guess positive because I made an album. Good. Um, <laughs> I try to find the positive in pretty much anything. And I had a lot of plans that were cancelled, but 
so does everyone, and there's not much to be done about that. So, yeah, I just took the time to enjoy life as much as possible. And, yeah, I really can't say anything bad because making an album for me is, like, one of the most exciting things that I get to do in life. So, yeah. A lot of bands have been delaying releasing albums because of, you know, not being able to tour and stuff like that. What made you decide to, you know, still put it out this year? Um, I guess not knowing when touring will be possible uh, doesn't help with wanting to delay it. Um, And also I've never really had um, much of a conventional sort of link to the music industry. I've always just kind of done what I thought was a good idea at the time and then seen how it's gone. Uh, And I thought that makes more sense to just release the music and if it's another year before I can tour, then maybe I'll have an EP or something by then anyway. Uh, Speaking of EPs, you've put out many EPs, really, and uh, what made you decide to opt for a full-length album? Because a lot of your your output is more digitally based and the album as a format's not really what it used to be, I guess. Yeah, um, I think it's a good challenge. I have a hard time writing more than an EP's worth of music that I think is interesting, um, especially being instrumental. I listen mostly to bands with singers. Um, so I find when I get to like the fourth or fifth track, things start to repeat themselves, like the structure, the tone, or the emotion of the song ends up being like a different version of a song that's already on there. Um, so the challenge of trying to make eight songs that are all unique in their own way um, just felt like something worth trying to do. Was there significance behind the number eight? Because I actually did the exact same thing. For some reason, eight was my number. Why was it yours? <laughs> it feels like the bad minimum to me. Um, my first album was seven tracks and one of them was kind of like a an interlude uh, and I thought I'd be letting myself down if I did seven again um, but nine seemed like just far too much <laughs> eight just seemed like just enough to be a serious album for me it was the there's a good run of Black Sabbath albums that are all eight tracks and I was like eh, if they did it early on I could do it too makes sense to me oh nice uh, I've been an instrumental act for most of my musical life, um, and I personally put a lot of thought and weight into a song title for some reason. Uh, do you do the same thing? Um, yes and no. Like some of the, all of the songs are titles that I've had for uh, at least since I started writing the music, um, and they're all meaningful in some way. And they're all as related to the like the feeling of the song as possible, but they are also just random words that happen to be linked to the music, if that makes sense. Like specifically, why Last Call? Because I listened to it earlier before ch- setting this up, and I, I kind of get it, but also like, I don't know, I don't. I don't. Oh, what did you think? Honestly, kind of the the melodies of it in a weird way remind me of, I think it's, called Glasgow Kiss by John Petrucci, which is a song about, you know, getting drunk and, well, not really about, but is a reference to getting punched when you're drunk, I believe. And it kind of has a similar whimsical thing to me that reminds me of, like, that song, and I made a weird connection with a bar. That's that's the perfect connection. Um, (laughs) I could be wildly wrong with what a Glasgow Kiss is. (laughs) No, I think that's 
that was it for me. It was a combination of like that feeling of when a bar calls last drinks and it's like that limbo where you're trying to make a fun time keep going as long as it can, but obviously it can't last forever. And then the same sort of thing with if you're waiting for a plane and they call last call, it's like if you've just been somewhere and had an amazing time doing something and then it's about to be over, but it's kind of not yet. Um, so it's kind of like that feeling of the last bit of fun you get to have before you face reality or in the case of John Petrucci, get punched. <laughs> I did a quick look on it. It was not a punch. It's actually a headbutt. So um, oh, well. a whimsical headbutt, I guess. <laughs> and your song would follow said headbutt as you're still in a daze, I guess. Um, yeah. Might, maybe a stupid question, but Simon is credited as bass and stunt guitar. What is stunt guitar playing? Uh, there was a part on one of the songs uh, that Chris, the drummer, varied the rhythm on the kick drum just a little bit from what I'd recorded. Um, so rather than me re-recording that part, Simon just did it uh, himself because he's a really good guitar player as well. And we were just trying to find what the best credit for his four bars of guitar playing would be. And I think stunt guitar is the one. It had me Googling if that was a type of guitar I wasn't aware of or if it was like just <laughs> had me questioning everything I know about guitars. Um, a few of your... Pro- Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, I hope everyone does the same. <laughs> I can cut this part out and keep some mystery behind the spot. <laughs> uh, a few of your pre-order bundles include a vanilla grapefruit scented candle. Uh, did you pick the scent of said candle? Yeah, um, so I decided I wanted to make a candle because most people are in lockdown and the, it used, like for me, it used to be a pretty big deal when someone I liked had an album coming out. I'd go to the CD shop like the day, sometimes not even the day it came out, like the day after, and then come home, put on headphones, read through the lyrics, which in this case don't exist. Um, but it was an event. So I was trying to think of items that could help make it an event for someone that's just at home waiting for the mail. Um, so Sheet happened to handling all the different items, found a candle maker in Toronto where they are that seemed like good people doing like good candle work. And they sent me this like 10 page PDF of how to spec out a candle. And I picked that because Firstly, just seemed kind of not offensive or not something that anyone would be allergic to. Um, but apparently vanilla is relaxing and grapefruit is energizing. So hopefully it's just a very confusing experience. You said there was a 10-page PDF. What else did you learn about candles that you maybe didn't know about before? It seems like a world full of information that people maybe aren't aware of that now you have the inside track on. <laughs> um, mostly it was just different options of the size. I think some of them you could have one or two wicks. Um, there are a lot of different like glass and marble packaging. Um, as far as the actual scents go, though, I think that was only about two pages. Um, but, I mean, this is the perfect excuse to write more albums so I can make more candles and learn more. <laughs> Do you feel like you made it now that you're a candle? Because I feel like Prince and maybe Stevie Nicks are people that would have a candle, and now you're up there with the upper echelon of the witchy people. <laughs> I think it's one of the cooler things that I've done for no particular reason. 
Uh, also in your, your pre-orders, there's a pelican prominently featured. Are you a fan of said bird? Yeah, there's um, there's a sort of like a harborside area that I have walked to and around for most of my life. And every now and then see this huge pelican. Um, and I started seeing it more and more when I was recording the album. I don't know if it's a seasonal thing or... Do you know if it's the same one? It was like... I don't know, because I've only ever seen two, at least this year, I've only seen two once. Usually it's just one. So I like to think that it's the same one, even if it isn't. So you decided to immortalize this bird? Yeah. It's like he or she is especially cheeky too. Like there's some restaurants and it kind of just chills out on the water and then occasionally just flies in like literally to inside the restaurant. And this thing is would come up to at least your waist or taller and just stands there and looks at people like kind of just expecting to be loved. And that's what happens. <laughs> That was some of Last Call by Pliny from the album Impulse Voices. I'll have more of them shortly, but first, this is my first band. Every musician has his art somewhere, and in this episode, Michael Stane from Dark Tranquility discusses his heavy origins. Ooh, so before, oh man. Well, I did have a band before, but it wasn't a band. We were a duo, and it was, I, I don't think we had a name, but no. So the first one was, before Dark Tranquility, we were called Septic Broiler, and, um... Yeah, we uh, we just played super st- silly um, songs about uh, sketches on TV and uh, about stupid friends that we didn't like, and uh, just so that we can learn how to play our instruments. And uh, we were like that for maybe six months or something like that. Um, we sounded horrible and we couldn't play at all. And then after like six months of like constant practice, we wrote a song that we actually were proud of called "Void of Tranquility," and we said fuck it, let's change our name to Void of Tranquility and be a proper band, you know. And then we thought about it again and we changed it to Dark Tranquility and yeah, that's how it happened. Uh, but it was horrible. But we did release a demo and that's out there. Like It's called Enfeebled Earth by Septic Broiler and it's, um, it's horrible. I actually have a follow-up about the, uh, the songs about sketches on TV. Is this like Monty Python sort of sketches or like a Swedish equivalent yeah. of that? Yeah, yeah well not that funny it was way worse than that <laughs> but, but something like that you know like just songs about like stupid inside jokes that you know about stuff that we saw on tv or that we were laughing at when we were yeah like what was it we were like 14 15 or something like that um I, it wasn't even funny <laughs> and I, but i still i actually I, I still have like a um all the lyrics left 
um, somewhere, and uh, yeah, and it's ooh, cringy, ooh, horrible. But yeah, we were kids, and it, that's how it started. And of, of course, and we we did learn a lot uh, in a in a short period of time. So it was a good thing. But and I guess we all have to kind of start somewhere. And nobody, none of us had any kind of musical training or anything like that. So it was just like, all right, let's play music. Uh, how do we do this? Okay, let's try. Let's go. One, two, three, four. Here we go. Kind of thing. by Dark Tranquility was released on October 20th via Century Media Records. You can grab a copy now over at darktranquility.com. Then you can hear my full conversation with Michael back on episode 87 of Far Beyond Metal. Now before I conclude my interview with Blaney here, some of the title track from his EP The End of Everything. Um, I imagine people are asking you a lot about the Doja Cat thing, but aside from all that, um, the legal side of things, have you seen an uptick of people like in your streams for people who are checking you out now after all that? Um, yeah, definitely. I've definitely made at least a handful of fans from her fan base, which I think is a really like awesome crossover. Um, it was the perfect timing for an album campaign in terms of press. Um, I'm not sure how many like genuine fans it'll create, but yeah, overall it's definitely been a positive thing. It's a crossover I didn't expect and, you know, one that maybe will turn into something beautiful. Who knows? Yeah. Um, now that you've done this, the whole album EP process for a while now i imagine it's a lot different than when you started like you have more resources connections clout and you know just you can make a call and maybe move things a little easier um is it better or like easier than it was in the first place or now that you have access to things are you finding it more of a challenge in different ways um it's definitely better and easier and i think it's become easier for anyone starting out as well um the first time I released music, CDs mattered, and now they almost don't at all, um, which I think is great because if you're a new band, if you record your album and can't afford to print some number of CDs not knowing if you'll sell them, um, you really don't have to. Like Most people consume music totally digitally, and the way to get your music on Spotify and Apple Music and all that is getting cheaper, cheaper and easier than ever. Um, and then 
I suppose the promotional side of things, I'm always looking to try and do a little bit more, a little bit better. And that seems to be helped by having released more music. Because I guess you do an interview and then someone says, so you've released a few APs and albums now, what's the difference? <laughs> what is the difference? No, um, I, I, I'm one who actually misses CDs mattering because I still have a wall that I'm holding on to because I feel like I, I should at this point, but I know I don't need them anymore. Um, it's sad, really. Um, <laughs> with uh, the added downtime you've had with everything, have you been able to collaborate more with anybody? Or uh, you that's just what I you- thought. I've definitely messaged a lot of people um, a few months ago who I like talked to on and off about trying to do something for a long time, saying, this is it, we've got so much time, Like, I'll send you an idea soon or let's start working on something. And then I did none of it. Um, and I'm hoping that I'll, like, once the album's out, I'll get back to it and actually do it. Um, but really, I think I turned a lot of the free time into just doing nothing and kept the amount that I spent making music the same as I would have anyway. Um, I, I know you're a 90s baby, but were you influenced a lot by uh, Eddie Van Halen? Um, I was indirectly a huge amount because I think there's so much of his playing, especially in Steve Vai, who's one of my first and biggest influences. Um. I remember buying a bunch of Van Halen CDs like the year that I got into guitar because like that's just the place that you find good guitar playing. I think the biggest influence that he's had on me was actually in the last couple of years I started listening back more and more to all their records and especially watching the live videos because he has like the best on stage personality of probably any guitarist. Like so fun and so good. I I've seen videos of him playing, and it's amazing he can be like as wanky and technical as he was, but still just be a giant goofball. But then he's also behind David Lee Roth, who would literally like sweep a stage or something crazy like that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like he had enough charisma to you would still look at him on a stage with David Lee Roth, um, while also doing the insane things that he was doing. Earlier you mentioned uh, Steve Vai, and I know it's not an either-or thing, but uh, were you more Vai than Satriani? Um, I was Yngwie, both, I, guess. I think. I, I got more into Steve Vai's composition um, after a little bit, but I still always go back to Joe Satriani for his tone and phrasing, because I think he might be my favorite guitarist for playing playing a simple melody as beautifully as possible. How do you feel about the, the sex and religion album? Cause my, my podcast is called far beyond metal. It's a strap young lad thing. I definitely have an unhealthy obsession with Devin Townsend. And that was like his first thing. And my first introduction to Steve Vai, that's a weird one as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, when I first made my way through Steve Vai's catalog, I guess I didn't fully understand it. Cause I was like, where's, the shred and where's the like weird compositions, but that's one of my favorites now. Um, I've gotten into Devon Townsend uh, a few years ago at least, and I think he's like he's got easily one of my favorite voices in this world, and so I love that album now. 
I really need to revisit it because it's just one of those that's on my CD shelf. Um, you hmm. you met Townsend, I'm assuming, several points over the years, but you uh, worked with him at the Vi Academy, um, which is not necessarily a G3 sort of situation, but if it were to lead to you being a G3 uh, touring member down the road, what would you want for the big G3 jam to be at the end? I think they usually do three songs and they like that one Neil Young song a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think a Hendrix song would be fun. Um, a Led Zeppelin song would be fun. I don't know if they've ever done one. But I think... I would probably be so anxious about being there at all that I'd rather just leave as much of it as much of it up to them as possible and then just try and not pass out. I, I realize you might just be a modest guy, but you know you're good at guitar, right? You could definitely hang. I'm okay at guitar, but I think they maybe this is something that I get from just doing it for more years, but like they have that like godly aura which i'm still working on i i fully believe you'll get to your own glow and it'll be a beautiful glow once you've got it um thank you all right well uh thank you for talking to me today i i just finished listening through the album for the first time before i got on with you and that last track is insane um so i will have this out thursday so people can listen to it on friday and know i'm right because good golly um <laughs> Thanks a lot. Of course. So you have a good rest of your day. And uh, yeah, thank you for being on my silly little podcast. Impulse Voices by Pliny is out now via Pliny and Sheet Happens. You can get the album digitally over at pliny.bandcamp.com or to get a physical copy and that candle I mentioned, you can head to sheethappenspublishing.com. To close out this episode, I am recommending Autocatalytica. Autocatalytica is the project of Canadian multi-instrumentalist Eric Thornfinson. The sound reminds me of part Devin Townsend, part Igor, and part Protest the Hero. On October 16th of this year, with the help of several friends, Eric released the album Power Clashing Maximalism. From that album, here is Zippler in its entirety.
deconstruct a labyrinth of eternal dissatisfaction from your hollow search for Clashing Maximalism by Autocatalytica is out now. You can get a copy over at autocatalytica.bandcamp.com and follow the band on YouTube at slash autocatalytica. That is A-U-T-O-C-A-T-A-L-Y-T-I-C-A. Now to wrap the episode, of course, I'm going to invite you to head over to farbeyondmetalpodcast.com. There, if you're in a band, you can hit me up to be on the show. If you want to find old episodes, there's a store link. All that good stuff, farbeyondmetalpodcast.com. Then, of course, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from the album The New Black, courtesy of Central Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.